The video gives us a lot to think about when it comes to the term diversity and the meaning of it. You know, when you talk about diversity, you can't help talk about change. And uh, he mentions that in the video. God loves changing things. Uh, Whether we like it or not, he does love changing things. God loves changing uh, the way we live. Uh, He loves... That's why, if you think about it, he loves changing things. That's why... That's why things are not the same as they were generations ago. They're not the same as as things were centuries ago. Uh, That's why we don't do the same things in the same way uh, we did hundreds of years ago. And we can certainly use numerous examples of that. For those of you who are farmers, you don't farm the same way they farmed 200 years ago. Amen to that? No, you don't care. Okay, well, yeah, this is... I think it's a little, it's still hard work, but it's different tools that you use because things have changed. But, you know, our transportation is far different than it was 100 years ago or 50 years ago. Aren't you glad of that? Or how many here still want to do the horse and buggy thing or walk everywhere you go? I like cars. I like the transportation system we have. You see, things change. We don't often think of that as part of, of uh, God being part of that. That's just man and his ingenuity and his genius uh, changing things as we progress toward what? Have you ever asked yourself that? Not just to change, to change. You know, God loves to change. He moves, he moves His hand across this earth and things change. That's how it works. His favorite things to change is in the soul and the spirit of mankind. He likes to change our tears into laughter and into joy. He likes to take a a heart of stone, and turn it into a heart of tenderness. Those are the things God enjoys. The problem is that too often we resist change. We buck against it unless, unless it's a change we want or unless it's a change we agree with. Would you agree with that? Huh? I mean, let's be honest. I'm not a big change kind of guy unless I really like the change. You know, unless I... Unless, I, unless I, I really agree with the change. Or unless it has really nothing to do with me. Then you can change all you want. You know, there are three principles about change that we can certainly be assured of. And the first principle is this. Changes are inevitable. And we need to mark that down in our minds. One philosopher said this. There is nothing permanent except change. And that is so true. To stay up with the times, we must change with them. It's just that simple. They're inevitable. We must change to keep in step with God's plan for our times. It does us no good to try in our way of thinking to think way back in the past. We need to stay up with our times. There's a second principle. Change requires adjustment. Would you agree with that? Go like this because that's one of the problems. Change requires adjustment. And this can be very uncomfortable. It can be awkward. It can test our patience. Let me give an example for some of us parents here. It can be awkward having to ask our kids how to do certain things on a computer. Or how do you you use this smartphone anyways? Or somebody as young as Mike, how are you supposed to get your pictures on that directory? It doesn't work for me. How many here didn't have it work for them? Oh, wow, Mike, you're doing well. Okay. Now, I know some of you just either tried it again and it worked well, because I've talked to at least 10 people that said, I tried putting it on there, and it didn't work. You know what my answer was? You need to contact Pastor Mike. And it's awkward, because these are new things for us. You know, we did the directory in an entirely different way. Now we're 
changing that. And you can do it. You can, you can put your own pictures on there. Times are changing. There's another principle. Change must be examined as well. And we should filter all our changes through God's Word. It's that simple. We need to filter through God's Word. We need to use care, not to confuse our ministry methods or uh, with God's truths or, or equating our preferences with the Word of God and with Scripture. We need to be very careful of that. It needs to be examined. We need to find out which changes either hinder or help the communication of the gospel. And so those are three principles we can keep in mind. And while we keep them in mind, I want to go to the book of Acts, if you will. So turn there to the book of Acts. I'll be really close to our passage this morning. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 11. And here in Acts, major change is taking place. And the new Jewish believers were, were about to experience this, this change and realize what true diversity really means. And as you're turning to Acts chapter 11, just give me, let me give you a little background. Back in Acts chapter 10, the Apostle Peter he had been staying with a man by the name of Cornelius for a few days. We don't have time to read that whole story. You're going to get a, you're going to get a summation of it here later on. Anyhow, he had been staying with a man by the name of Cornelius for a few days. And, and this had changed Peter's life forever, this visit with Cornelius. You see, he had gotten rid of legalism that he had hung on to his life from his Jewish past ever since he can remember. And now in Acts chapter 10, that was gone. Now everything was clean in Christ. Everything was cleaned through Christ. You see, here's the problem. Cornelius was a Gentile. And not just any Gentile. He was a centurion. He was a leader of soldiers. Keep this in mind. The Jews hated the Gentiles. And they hated soldiers even more. And this guy was both. And listen, Peter was no different. Peter was no different. He didn't much care for the Gentiles, and he certainly didn't care for the soldiers. But you see, Christ had done something. Christ had broken down the walls of prejudice in Acts chapter 10. He had broken down those walls that were separating the two men, and now they were joined together as Christian brothers. And if we were to read Acts chapter 10, we would find that Peter stayed in a Gentile's house. And if you were living back in those days and you were a Jewish believer, you'd say, what? Peter stayed in a Gentile's house? Man, think about this. He ate Gentile food? What? He ate Gentile food? Maybe even pork for the very first time. He slept in a Gentile bed? He hobnobbed with a centurion. What was happening to this new church? What was taking place? Well, I can tell you this. They were about to experience true diversity. They just weren't quite ready for it yet. So now as soon as Peter came back home, out of, out of, uh, out of Acts chapter 10, he realized that this, the word had gotten out about his time with Cornelius, and that's where we picked the story up here in Acts chapter 11. If you look with me in Acts chapter 11, starting in verse 1, it says, Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? 
Now, before you're too hard on these guys, understand your prejudice. Understand those things that are in your life that you struggle with. Whether it's a class, whether it's a race, whether it's a, whether it's a financial difference, keep in mind your own prejudice. That neighbor next door that's always bothering you, Think about this before you're too hard on these Jewish believers. They began to shake their finger at, at Peter and, and wagging their tongue and gossip. Shame on you, Peter. Shame on you. How, could you. how could you live? How could you stay with a Gentile? How could you stay with a soldier on top of that? How could you eat with him? How could you sleep in his house? You know what we'd be saying? Looks like Peter's gone liberal on us. There goes the church. He'll take a bunch of people with him now. We'll have a split. You see, Judaism had begun to to rot the church from the inside here in, in Acts chapter 11, just like many traditions do today in our churches. They were clinging to their past. They they still held in their minds that, that being a good Christian meant keeping all the high standards of these of the Jewish legalism. He had to do them both. Trust Christ as your Savior and be a good Jew. But as Peter listens to them, he knows and he realizes that they need to be transformed in their thinking, just like he was. Remember, to them, the idea of a Christian Gentile was unheard of. And that's not so different than our prejudice today. So Peter begins to speak, and he starts talking here in verse 4. It says, But Peter began and explained it to them in order. We're going we're to talk about that in a second. He says, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice, I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. I'm a good Jew. I'm a good Jewish person. I love Jesus. And none of this stuff ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven. I've added that part in there. So that's, if you're wondering why it's not in your Bible, it's not because you have a bad translation. It's, I threw that in there. He said, but a, voice, but a voice answered a second time from heaven. What God has made clean, do not call common. And this happened three times. And all was drawn up again into heaven. It always takes three times for Peter to get the point. We find that in the history of Peter. Think about what Peter does here. By, now, by telling the people what happened to him, he begins to build a bridge in their thinking. They just got to change the way they think. He, and he begins to build that bridge from one view to another. A change, a different view that they, that they never saw before. Now they know the story. They knew Peter had slept, ate, and stayed with a Gentile, a satyrian. But why did he do that? What would make Peter do that? Now he explains that to him in order. This is what happened to me. This is why I did that. 
This is what God told me. This is that voice I'm talking to you about. He simply states the facts in an orderly fashion. He doesn't do it haphazardly, as verse 4 says. He says, but Peter began and explained it to them in order so that they knew what was happening, so that bridge could be built in their way of thinking. He does that to appeal to them factually rather than to appeal to their emotions. Because that's one of the problems we have with diversity. Our emotions get involved. I knew a person like that once and he treated me like garbage, so I dislike them all. They're all like that. We get emotional. And then he showed them how God's fingerprints were all over his experience. Look at verse 11. We're going to start, start in verse 11. After he tells them all this, and, and it was drawn up again into heaven after he was, it happened three times to him, he says, and behold, and underline this in your Bible, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, in which we were and sent, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. Forget about who they are. Forget about all this. Making no distinction. The Spirit said, you need to go with them, Peter. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he said, and and now Cornelius, he's telling Cornelius' Cornelius' story. And he told us how he's seen an angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. And then Peter's talking about himself again. He says, And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? Think about this. This this is part of that bridge building uh, thing that's happening here. This is part of what's what's taking place in Peter's life, and he's sharing it with them. When they're wondering, what happened to you, Peter? How can you do this, Peter? What is taking place, Peter? Are you crazy? These guys are Gentiles, and he's a centurion on top of that. And now you're giving us this? What changed? And Peter is telling them, this is what changed. This is what I saw. This is what God had, had told me. This is what is taking place. And you want to know something else, people? This is what is going to take place in the church. Look at verse 14. After he says, uh, Cornelius says, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. And he, in verse 14, this, this angel that, that was talking to uh, Cornelius said, He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved. You and all your household. You ever wonder what Cornelius was thinking when an angel said that? I will be saved. Have you ever had someone, have you ever talked to someone, obviously, hopefully you understand what being saved means, but have you ever talked to someone and said, you know, you need to be saved, and they look at you like you're from another planet. Need to be saved. What's that mean? Need to be saved from what? Well, that's what you're hoping they'll say, right? Then you can tell them. And that's what this message is here. To, and you will be saved, you and your household. And then verse 15 says, Peter says, And as I began to speak, look at this closely, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. There is no way, Peter, that the Holy Spirit fell on these Gentiles. There's just no way. There is no such thing as a Gentile Christian. It just can't happen. We're God's chosen people. Jesus was a Jew. It just can't happen. 
But Peter's building that bridge. And he's changing the way that they think. Look what, he, look, look what happens here in the next verse. Peter reaches the pinnacle of his presentation. He says it right here in verse 17. The, if then God gave them the same gift, or God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, look what he says. Now, who was I that I could stand in God's way? That's an important statement. Who was I that I can stand in God's way? Who can argue with that? Think about that. Who can, who can argue with that? Who are you, because of your prejudice, to say to, to, to God, these people, that person, aren't worthy to hear the gospel and to be saved? Who are we? How could we say that? And that's what Peter realized. And that's what he's telling the people here. He, he tells them here in verse 17, who was I that I could stand in God's way? What makes me the judge of who hears the gospel and who doesn't? Nothing. He had just walked the people into the world of diversity, and they didn't even realize it. Now they, now they must choose to follow Peter and his lead or turn their backs on God. And Peter asked them, who was I to stand in God's way? And now he is asking them the same question by implication. So what do you think? Now that that bridge is built, what would I do? What would you have done? What would you have done if you would had the same vision? God had done the same thing to you. Who am I to stand in God's way? How did they respond? Look at verse 18. Verse 18 it says, When they heard these things, when that bridge was built... When they understood what happened to Peter and how he could eat and stay with a Gentile, when that bridge was built, it says, when they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Isn't that great? Isn't that great to understand? In verse 18, it says, when th- and they didn't have anything to say. They fell silent after Peter shared with them his story. How could they argue with that? And then it goes on to say, and they glorified God. They realized that they weren't the only ones God cared about. They weren't the only ones God loved, that he loved these Gentiles. And he even loved the soldiers. And then it says, then to the Gentiles, also God has granted repentance. They finally realized in their minds that they need to do away, they need to do away with their prejudice and embrace this diversity in the church. That's a big change, folks. A big change. And you guys, some of you can understand that. It doesn't end there, though. Back in chapters 8 and 9, and and don't turn there in the book of Acts, we have the stories of Stephen. We kind of briefly talked about that this morning, who was martyred in a Paul's conversion and, and on the road to Damascus. And, and uh, here's a little background in chapter 9. Remember, if you know anything about chapter 9, we see... Uh, Saul, who is Paul, and he's been converted to Christianity by a, a very dramatic experience. And so he starts preaching the gospel, and he he's upsets the Jewish religious order, if you will, of that day. And, and he's, uh, he has to flee for his life because they want to kill him. Because once he was one of them, and now he's one of those peoples. And once he was one of those Pharisees, now he's a Christian, and he's preaching the gospel. And they're getting all upset with him. And, and so he goes back to his hometown, uh, Tarsus, and... Uh, 
And he's there for quite some time because God is still teaching him and still dealing with him as a, as a new apostle. And so when you, here, here's the background. So with Paul is sequestered there in Tarsus, he, and he's supposed to be the apostle to the Gentiles, and this new wave of diversity is starting up, that the Gentiles can now be saved. Many Jewish Christians were still quite reluctant to share the gospel with these folks. So, so how was God going to get that out? How was God going to get the word out, as the Bible says, to the remotest parts of the earth? Well, we looked at it briefly this morning, and that the one way to do it was persecution. And that's where, you know, in chapters 8, when they were talking about Stephen and persecution, and, and this morning we talked about James being, being uh, murdered. That's how it works. Think about this. Persecution, whether we like it or not, is a very good motivator. Agree? It's a very good motivator. It's not a pleasant one, but it's a very good motivator. It gets us to do things, go places we wouldn't normally do or go. And that's exactly what God uses. Remember when Stephen was martyred, a great wave of persecution was against Christians. Against Christians arose and, and it scattered believers into Judea and Samaria and all the other places of the world. And this is where we picked this theme up. Look in verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except who? Jews. Didn't we just get that bridge thing? Didn't, didn't they just get it? They agree with it? Speaking the word to no one but the Jews. And so you see, total diversity hasn't hit the church yet. Those persecuted believers, they had traveled at 300 miles from Jerusalem to Antioch, and they carried with them the truth of Christ. And that sounds great, right? And that the persecution is working, and they got the gospel, and they have an opportunity to share it in all the other parts of the world except they were speaking the word to no one except the Jews, verse 19 tells us. But in verse 20, look what it says. But, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. Now, Hellenists is just a Greek-speaking non-Jew. So there were some who caught it. There were some who understood that the gospel now could go to the Gentiles. And they were preaching the gospel to these Gentiles. And they were doing it in Antioch. And look what the result was in verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. A great number of people got saved. Listen, through these newborn, multi-ethnic believers, God was unveiling uh, his heart for the world here in this new church. There were still some who were prejudiced. There were still some who were struggling with the Gentiles receiving the gospel. But there were some who were on fire for the Lord and understood what Peter had gone through. No longer would Jerusalem and the Jews be his only chosen ones. That's hard to grasp. He would instead embrace all nations. And they had to realize that. And we see this as Antioch becomes the new hub of Christianity. All of a sudden, it's not necessarily Jerusalem anymore. It's Antioch. How does the Jerusalem church respond to that? How do they act? How do they, how do they handle that? They could become jealous of Antioch, right? 
We want to be the, the hub. We want to be where it's at. But notice what they did. Look in verse 22. And the report of this came to the ears of the church. The report of some of these people getting saved, a great multitude getting saved in Antioch, Jews and Gentiles. That report came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they didn't like it. It's not what it says, does it? And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Why'd they do that? They wanted to help them. They sent help to this church in Antioch, this new church, this young church. They sent one of their top guys down there to help them, to teach them, to disciple them, to mentor them. So they send Barnabas. And what happens when he gets there? Look at verse 23. And when he came and saw the grace of God, when he came to Antioch, he saw the grace of God and, and, and he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. He taught them. He told them to stick in there. He saw God's grace, both to the Jews and the Gentiles. You know what he was saying? This is what God is pleased with. Then look what happens. With this surge of new converts, both Jews and and Gentiles, Barnabas realizes that it's more than he could handle, so he remembers a certain man in Tarsus who was on fire for the Lord, and he goes and finds him. And it's Saul. Look what it says here in, in verse 24. He says, for he was a good man. He's talking about, it ends of verse 23, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Antioch church is still growing. It just keeps growing. These Gentiles are telling Gentiles. Jews are telling Jews. Jews are telling Gentiles. Gentiles are telling Jews. People are coming to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called what? Christians. Not in Jerusalem, but in Antioch. Saul's time had finally come. And with Barnabas as his partner and as his mentor, Saul was making a comeback. And not only was he making a comeback... Against the persecution, a great many people were taught. A great many people came to know the Lord. And the Christ-likeness of this diverse group of believers became obvious that something was different. Something had changed. Luke tells us that those who were disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Not Jews, not Gentiles, but Christians. They were brothers and sisters in the Lord. Folks, that's diversity. That's what, the, that's what God's looking for. That's, what, that's the attitude he expects us to have. Is to, is, 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 is to get rid of those prejudices. And as the video talked about, have compassion for our neighbor. Not just our ge- geographical neighbor, not our relational neighbor. For those who are far off, those who those who maybe we are uncomfortable with. Just let me share this with you. What a testimony to the grace of God this church in Antioch was. What a testimony that, that this church in Antioch gave because of Peter's experience with Cornelius and the teaching. What a powerful movement together between Gentiles and Jews for the cause of Christ. And listen to me closely. Just like the new Jewish believers... By nature, we tend to stick with people like us, do we not? 
That's our nature. And have a relationship with others not like us is nothing short of a miracle of God's grace. And that's what happened to Peter. And that's what happened to the church in Jerusalem and the church in Antioch. That's what diversity is. And that's what pleases God. And that's what we need to make sure we keep in our minds. That's what we need to work on. That's what we need to look forward to. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Lord, we are thankful. We're thankful for the gospel. We're thankful for your mercy as we conclude this series. But Father, we're also thankful this evening for diversity. I am so thankful that the gospel has come to the Gentiles. Else I'd be lost. I'm thankful, Father, that you used men like the Apostle Peter, changed his way of thinking as it spread throughout the early church. I'm thankful, Father, that someone shared the gospel with me and that your Holy Spirit worked in my life. And I pray that has happened to everyone here tonight. Father, help us to be diverse. Help us to welcome those who are not like us. Help us to minister to those who are not like us and show compassion and the gospel with them. In Christ's name, amen.